Hello, and welcome to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alert's podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Jack Anstein. And I'm Casey Murray. On today's episode, we'll discuss how negative workplace experiences can lead to entrepreneurship. And later on, we'll talk to the owner and curator of the Strawberry Swing Craft Fair to discuss how she's moved her event virtually to consider to support Kansas City small business owners during the pandemic. Plus, we'll have this week's headlines, digits, and other startup news you need to know. So what are we waiting for? Let's speak startup. So Casey, August is getting closer. Are you thinking at all about going back to school? Of course I am. Last semester I was studying abroad, so it feels like it's been ages since I've actually been on Mizzou's campus. I know. Um, A lot of my classes are still in person, but one of them is going online. So it'll definitely be a different experience for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, both of my roommates have actually had like almost all their classes moved online. So a little disappointing for them, I guess, but maybe safer also. Yeah, and I know that for both of us, it's going to be our senior year. So we will have our masks ready in the classrooms and make the most of it. Absolutely. Um, But let's go ahead and get into the headlines. Our first one for the day is about a St. Louis cybersecurity startup called QNET, who is working with the U.S. Air Force to accelerate development of its technology. The company was awarded a $3 million business innovation research contract by the Air Force. The contract involves developing an impenetrable network for military communications. QNET CEO Ron Indek said that the military plans to use the technology to secure communication with soldiers, drones, weapon systems, and other devices. Pet food company Chewy plans to create a new 800,000-square-foot fulfillment center in Belton, just south of Kansas City. The facility is projected to bring 1,200 new jobs to the area. The state of Missouri worked with a number of regional partners, including the Kansas City Area Development Council, to bring the center to Cass County. Chewy operates out of 15 locations across the country. The company says that the new operation in Missouri will be one of its largest facilities. The state of Missouri is spending $15 million of its federal COVID-19 relief funds to promote tourism. The money will be designated to organizations that market specific destinations across Missouri. Marketing groups can also apply to offset prices on safety measures such as temperature checks through the program. Officials emphasize that visiting attractions can still be done safely during the pandemic. The St. Louis Board of Aldermen approved a measure that would put up a 5% cap on fees charged by third-party delivery apps like Uber Eats and Grubhub. The law would also require the companies to disclose how much gratuity money their drivers make and what amount of the tip covers the driver's wages. Similar laws have been adopted in other cities as restaurants voice concern about delivery app fees and the delivery services see surging demand due to the pandemic. The measure passed uncontested and now heads to Mayor Lida Krusen's desk to, for final approval or veto. For more information on this new measure, check out my story at MissouriBusinessAlert.com. up today, we have a story about how discrimination in the workforce can lead people to become entrepreneurs. It's sad to hear that even today, people are being shut out of companies. I know, but women and people of color still make up a small percentage of upper-level positions in companies. 
which means they might be looking to advance their careers a different way if they don't feel the company they work for is giving them fair opportunities. Do you know how often this is happening? There's no data I could find about exactly how often discrimination plays a role in motivating people to pursue entrepreneurship, but I spoke with two women that had personal experiences related to the topic about what happened to them and how businesses can do better. In an old 1980s edition of the Harvard Business Review, there's an article titled The Dark Side of Entrepreneurship, where one entrepreneur is quoted saying, the entrepreneur who starts his own business generally does so because he is a difficult employee. However, in 2020, there's increasing awareness of a different dark side to entrepreneurship. Some people start their own businesses because they face discrimination within the companies they used to work for. Yeah, I had a good job, um, but I had a racial inequality issue, um, and I was going to end up suing my job. So when it got to a certain point, I just walked away, and I started my business. And I mean, it kind of just catapulted me from there. That's Monique Waters, who is currently the owner of Massage Amani, a massage and wellness business in the Kansas City area. Waters began working full-time at the business after leaving a job where she said she was treated differently because of her race. Waters has now been running her massage business as her main source of income for nine years. She said that without the experience, she may not have ever made the leap to entrepreneur. Because I think it's hard for a lot of people to make the leap into going into business for yourself. And for me, it was kind of, I was so angry that there was no choice. <laughs> it was like, okay, I don't want to be here. They don't appreciate me immediately. What else can we do to go make some money? So it forced me to hustle to build and grow as opposed to consistently sitting on, you know, having that job in my back pocket. Her experience demonstrates an issue that Vita Jeffrey, the executive director of the Heartland of St. Louis Black Chamber of Commerce, said is still very much around. So there are some companies that regularly win in terms of their ability to diversify their staff. And it seems to be the same one every year. Jeffrey has noticed that while many companies say they want diversity in their staff, only a few are taking concrete steps to make their workplaces more inclusive. This is important not only because it can exclude deserving people from career advancement, but because it can ultimately hurt a company. If we figure out how to diversify our staff, our workforce, then that means we get diversity of thought. That means that we diversify our customer baseline. That means that we are more creative in what we have to offer and our approach to doing so. And all of those things culminate together to increase the bottom line for the company. Companies in the top quartile for gender diversity are 15% more likely to outperform their peers, and companies in the top quartile for ethnic diversity are 35% more likely to do the same, according to research by McKinsey & Company. Studies by Burson and Deloitte found that the talent practices that predict the highest performing companies are all focused on building inclusive talent systems, but only about 10% of companies have this kind of talent system. This is backed up by Jeffrey's own experience. Companies that are going to continue to grow and thrive have no choice but to diversify in their culture and their thinking and their offering and their training and who runs the company. And it requires being intentional about moving people up through the ranks, hiring people in C-suite positions that are diverse so that the thinking can come from the top down 
as opposed to just hiring diverse people in all entry-level positions and thinking that you can have a monolithic leadership team and accomplish the goals that need to be accomplished in 2020 and beyond. Jeffrey herself is among those who left corporate work for entrepreneurship because of discrimination and stunted success. Jeffrey ended up returning to the corporate world because she wanted to be supported by a larger organization again, but thinks negative work environments still lead people to entrepreneurship. As difficult as it is and as much um, bravery as it takes to go become an entrepreneur, they find it in themselves to do so. In many cases, they execute well-thought-out plans. They're doing so because they're leaving environments where they felt shut out. And so what better way to address being shut out but go be the creator of my own space? There is no data evaluating how many people become entrepreneurs because of discrimination, but industry experts have noticed that even when companies try to hire diverse staff, they can't always hold on to them. That's a problem for a long time. There was a big push on diversity and inclusion. Those were buzzwords. You had cultures were beginning to bring in more women, bring in more African Americans, bring in more Asian workers, but they failed to make them part of the culture. Despite progress, women still make up only about 7% of Fortune 500 CEOs and about 26% of board seats at companies on that list. Black people made up only about 3% of senior leadership roles in large companies, according to a 2018 study by the Center for Talent Innovation. Entrepreneurship may not be able to replace corporate structures, but Waters is glad that at her business, everyone has a seat at the table. You need to hire black people in positions of power so that you have a board that is actually diverse, you know what I mean? So like in our shop, we're everything from male, female, black, white, Asian, Latina, and we have meetings together and everyone comes to the table. So everyone's voice is heard. So I just think that's super important. Now turn our attention to indie craft fairs. Casey, have you ever been to a craft fair? I'm not exactly sure what a craft fair is, but I'm interested to learn more. These events allow artisans, crafters, and other makers to sell their products, and there's usually attractions like food trucks and live music as well. However, during the COVID-19 pandemic, many events like this have been affected. Yeah, I can imagine. It'd be difficult to host an event that brings so many people together in one place. Right, and the Strawberry Swing Indie Craft Fair in Kansas City was set to host its 10th annual event in person on August 1st. But last week, organizers found out that that was no longer an option, and they had to make last-minute changes to move the event online. Wow, I've never been to an online fair before. How does this affect those involved? Even though it's now in a virtual setting, event owner Katie Mabry Vandieren stressed the importance of continuing to have Strawberry Swing this year to support local businesses and makers who rely on the event for income. Let's take a listen to our conversation. Hi, Katie. Thank you for making some time to speak with me. Sure. Thank you. Can you please introduce yourself? Yes. My name is Katie Mabry Vandieren, and I own and curate the Strawberry Swing Indie Craft Fair. And I also own uh, and co-founded Craft Show CEO, which is like a membership group for people who want to learn how to um, sell full-time their handmade items. And I also co-founded a nonprofit called 
Truce Market Collective, which is going to be at 31st and Truce and will be an equitable maker space. And we've done a lot of things like throw some festivals and done some really great community programming. Great. And then for anyone who's not aware, can you explain what the Strawberry Swing event is? Yes. So it started in 2011. So this is our 10th year. Unfortunately, I had like a lot of amazing things planned for the event that's coming up August 1st, but it is an indie craft fair. And we have been voted kind of uh, or selected by a lot of different organizations as one of the top indie craft fairs in the world, according to BuzzFeed and some other fun publications. And so basically we have, um, four big festivals, one each season, and they are really fun. We have live music, food trucks, and more than a hundred handmade, I call them makers, um, but you know, artists or artisans, crafters. So yeah, it's free to attend and we have four big ones and then we pop up places around uh, the Midwest during the year, normally pre-COVID. Is it true that in the past week or so, you recently found out that the event would be moving online? Yes. So it is my 10th annual summer swing, and we were going to be at Union Station, which is um, a historic train station here in town. And I had so many fun things planned, but with COVID um, last week, they said they are not going to do any public events at all in August due to COVID. They just don't think it's safe. And so that was a big blow to us, but I, it was slightly a relief because I was a little nervous too. To like, I don't want to be typhoid Mary and everyone gets COVID at my event. So it was, it was really a shock, but sort of a relief, but also, you know, the virtual events are a little different than in-person events. So it's just not the same. I know your spring event was online as well. What do these virtual events look like? So with the spring swing, it was scheduled for May 20, uh, 30th. And so COVID hit in March basically. And so I, you know, was kind of like stressing, stressing, didn't know what to do because our spring one was supposed to be outdoors. Um, but, you know, that was when COVID was really, um, nobody really knew what was going on. Nobody knew the severity. It was very scary. So I decided that I would pivot to an online fair just to be safe. And I was able to then be like on a live stream at the top of the page with musicians and other people like kind of like we would have had in real life. And then all the vendors were underneath and each one of them had a like listing and you could go into their quote booth by like kind of zooming. So that's what I'm going to do again for the one next weekend. And what's the most important part of these events to you? The number one thing I worry about with my events, whether they're online or virtual is that people come and shop. We are, you know, supporting makers. And so I'm like a big community I, we called the makers movement and we were kind of one of the original, um, you know, shout it from the rooftop, please support small businesses. That These are the same as a brick and mortar. It's just working out of your home. And so my number one goal is to support the makers. What do you see as the most important part of supporting these local businesses? Oh my gosh, there's so much, um, you know, the tax dollars go right back in to our community. Whereas if you were to shop at like a big box store, those, the money you spend literally goes, most of it goes um, to a CEO in another state or maybe even country. Um, but when you shop locally, it stays in your community. And my final question is, what's the biggest silver lining you found through this whole experience? The silver lining is that we are all in this together, you know, and 
the makers understand, I understand, like, I mean, this is also my business, right? Together, we're all lifting each other up and kind of trying to share things and figure out how we can all do this. You know, we have, I have a big group called Kansas City Makers where we kind of talked about PPP loans and unemployment and all that because we're all in this situation together. We're all self-employed. So we fall in this weird category where we may not get unemployment or we can't figure out how to get it. And so having a community and like a page we can all interact with on Facebook and stuff has been really helpful in this time. Great. Thank you, Katie. Take care. Thank you so much. Now let's get to the digits of the week, the numbers that matter most to Missouri business. My digit today is 1 million. Okay, and what's the significance of that digit? The state of Missouri has launched a $1 million grant program to help startup incubators and co-working spaces with costs from the coronavirus pandemic. The funding will include grants of up to $50,000 per recipient and will be awarded to Missouri-based nonprofits and university-sponsored spaces. The program is funded by money from the Federal CARES Act that was sent to the states to help with pandemic relief. The deadline to apply is August 17th, and the recipients are planned to be announced in late September or early October. My digit today is 1.75 million. And why is that? A St. Louis-based esports startup called Mission Control has raised $1.75 million in a seed funding round Funding was led by Dundee Venture Capital, an Omaha-based firm, but included participation from St. Louis-based investor Cultivation Capital. Mission Control makes software to help users organize and host recreational esports competitions and said it plans to expand its team and its technology with the money. The startup was founded in 2018 and has experienced pretty rapid growth with 160 customers. So that just about concludes our episode. We just need our closing thought. This is Monique Waters, owner of Massage Amani, talking about the best entrepreneurial advice she's ever received. That you've got to work smarter and not harder. So in a business like mine, most of them are pretty small, um, you know, one-person operations. But it's a business that's extremely hard on your body, so you'll never last that long on your own. So you had to come up with other ways to, you know, make income or have them working for you. And that was exactly what I did. I can actually um, run my business and not allow my business to run me. That's all we got this week. This has been Speaking Startup from Missouri Business Alert. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Casey Murray and me, Jack Anstein. Our theme music was produced by Elliot Bowman. We'll speak to you next time.